listening to SBS On The Money with Ricardo Gonsalves. Hi everyone, it's your daily 10-minute business and finance news wrap for this Tuesday, the 26th of April 2022. Later, shares tank on China lockdown fears. But first, to Twitter, and Elon Musk has made a $61 billion takeover of Twitter, which now the board has accepted. So what does it mean for the platform and for its users? Earlier, I spoke with Dan Ives. He is a tech analyst and the managing director of Wedbush in New York. Dan, what really is the draw card for Elon Musk? Look, I mean, ultimately, it's really freedom of speech in terms of how he started in terms of going after Twitter. But I think he really wants to try to transform social media with Twitter as the platform. It was ripe for an acquisition candidate in terms of an underperforming asset. And ultimately, the board's back was against the wall in terms of another bidder not coming. And that's why ultimately they had to sit down with Musk and sign the deal. So how will the business model, though, have to change with Elon Musk in charge? I think right now there's more questions than answers in terms of how he's going to change Twitter. I think it will definitely move it to more of a subscription platform, more advertising, you know, and ultimately try to, you know, enhance what I'll call engagement. But I think Freedom of speech, clearly, it's going to be more content. It's going to be less restriction on the platform. It's a double-edged sword. I think you'll see some hate it, some love it. But ultimately, for Musk, he just spent 20% of his net worth on Twitter. It's more than freedom of speech. He's going to really try to change the platform. Okay, so for users then, if you're saying a subscription model, it means you need to pay to use it. Twitter already has that service, Twitter Blue, as a subscription model. What is the future, though, for these types of subscription businesses, especially in a rising interest rate environment? Because, for example, we've seen Netflix only recently say that it's losing some subscribers. So how do you think that'll work? Look, I mean, Twitter, I actually think the easiest part for Musk was buying it. The hard part's fixing it. Because if you look at social media in this arms race, it's been tougher and tougher to monetize. And that's why Twitter is where it is. I think Musk's going to have to significantly transform the business. And I think right now there's going to be different avenues, whether it's on advertising or content engagement, that they're going to have to try to get Twitter to go down a different path. And I think that's going to be the challenge for Musk going forward, which is why it's been such a head scratcher to many that he's spending 20% of his fortune going after Twitter. Okay. How does Twitter also fit in, though, with Elon Musk's other businesses, namely Tesla and SpaceX? Does it add value or is it a distraction? Yeah, I think it's more of a distraction for when I look at Tesla and SpaceX. As a Tesla investor, you don't want to see Musk buy Twitter. It's just more and more of his time spent non-Tesla at a time that he really needs to be, you know, I think, focused on these businesses. I think he's generally been able to what I'll say, use his time in a way that has surprised many. You know, he's been able to balance it better than anyone else. But Twitter, Tesla, and SpaceX, that's a lot of balls to juggle. There's going to be a maniacal focus on Musk to see if he could balance this. But no doubt in the near term, I mean, this is going to take a lot of his time. 
That was Dan Ives there, a tech analyst and managing director of Wed. Bush in New York. Now to the Australian share market, which had a shocker of the day. The S&P ASX 200 down by 2.1% to 7,318. For more, I spoke earlier with Nathan Somersundaram from Deep Data Analytics. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things. Uh, the market in the US is starting to uh, come to the realisation that the Fed is going to keep moving and moving aggressively um, and multiples uh quite high for that aspect and we're beginning to see some weaker growth coming out and you've got had global downgrades out of World Bank and IMF uh, indicating there's going to be real pressure. So there is that risk that's coming through on the US side and then you add the main thing that's held Australian markets in a falling US market has been commodities and now that the Chinese are worried about further lockdown and the numbers we're seeing out of Beijing. Um, that's really raising the risk that we might see a decent slowdown in Q2 out of China, and that means weaker commodity prices, and that's spooking the market. Okay, how is this being played out on the share market? So we're seeing some big pullbacks in commodities, um, and commodity, especially mining and energy stocks, have been the big outperformers. Um, you've got to remember pretty much all the main indices in the US are down 10 to 20% while the Aussie market is held up pretty well, almost flat for the year. So that's been on the back of commodities. So now we're seeing the pullback in commodities playing out with weaker global growth. I mean, iron ore fell 10% on Friday um, and it's been holding up literally like as solid as a house. Now that's coming off. And so the fallback in commodities are hitting all our mining and energy stocks. And they've been the outperformers. They're a crowded trade. Everyone is there. Now everyone's trying to get out at the same time. Inflation is also a concern. As you mentioned, our interest rates likely to rise, but we'll get an update on the CPI number out of Australia tomorrow. How is that likely to influence trade? Yeah, this is going to be interesting because remember, RBA only a few months ago was completely on one side of the argument that there is no problem. Uh, but in the, over the last couple of months, they have changed the tune to there may be a problem. Now, tomorrow's inflation update, the consensus view is above 3%, and RBA targets 2 to 3%. So already, if the number is above 3%, assuming it just meets expectations, red flags will be going up. There, there is a lot of chatter now. Why is the RBA waiting for the election? Because everyone knows after the election, the rates are going up. The bank bill swap rate is telling us the banks have already priced in three to four rate hikes um, straight after the election to before the end of the year. So everyone knows those rates are going to go up a lot after the election. Why are they waiting? Now, if this number is hot, then there'll be real pressure on RBA to move ahead of the election. And that doesn't happen often. So it's going to be a really interesting number tomorrow. Okay, so in this environment, rising interest rates, higher inflation, where do you see the opportunities? I think there are sectors that basically benefit from inflation. So, you know, these are not the sexy end of the market. These are the boring end of the market, but they do well. So if you look at um, Woolworths, for example, as a supermarket, they have the capacity to pass on costs. Um, if you look at most of the packaged goods that you buy, what you realize is the size or the weight of the goods in the packages have shrunk, but the price hasn't. So the producers are reducing to because they are being hit by costs. Well, for, as far as supermarkets are concerned, they're making the same margin. The supermarkets are a very good machine in an inflationary cycle. 
Similarly, the guys who actually produce the goods, so the food products, for example, are at historical high prices globally. So in that context, most of the food producers are benefiting substantially. Same with agriculture, same with uh, fertilizers. Um, and then you look at inflation hedges, so sectors that benefit from it. So insurance sector benefits from rising yields, uh, rising premium cycles. So they're doing quite well in this cycle. Then you look at things like gold miners, because at the end of the day, the Aussie gold miners, despite the pullback in um, spot gold overnight, in Aussie dollar terms, it's still substantially higher. So most Aussie gold miners are churning out a fair amount of cash. Sure, in a pullback cycle, gold miners come off. But if you look back at the bounce, the gold sector has the biggest bounce back and the fastest bounce back out of the cycle. That was Nathan Somersandaram there from Deep Data Analytics. This SBS On The Money podcast is provided for informational purposes only. The content on this podcast should not be understood as constituting advice or a recommendation. It is not personal advice and does not consider your personal circumstances or objectives. You should contact a licensed professional before making any financial decision. (laughs) 